Isaiah 9 and 6, a very familiar verse says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Is anybody thankful for that child that came unto us? We're here today to celebrate him. And so today I want to preach uh, for just a few minutes uh, from this title. He came for us. He came for us. If you would bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the gift that you gave us. God, when you wrapped yourself in flesh and came to die on a cross and save us from our sins. We thank you for the sacrifice that you gave on Calvary, Lord. Thank you that we're able today to be free. Not only to be free, but to live free, to walk free, to follow after you as disciples. God, I'm praying today that you would help us, lead us, and guide us by your spirit. Comfort someone by your word. We give you the honor, the glory, and the praise in the name of Jesus. Would you give God a hand clap of praise? God bless you and you may be seated. This will be simple today, uh, but it's a very powerful subject to think of the gift that God gave us when he came to earth. I want to give God thanks today for his redemption plan, uh, which began to be revealed in the eyes of mankind for the first time in the little town of Bethlehem. Often this event had been foretold by the prophets, but now God was revealing his plan on the earth for the first time in bodily form. The Apostle Peter would write and tell us that the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger was the culmination of a plan that God had had in mind from before the very beginning. That Calvary was not a reaction to the sins of man, but it was God's plan from before man ever set his foot on the earth. Peter would remind us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He would remind us that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last days laying in a manger in Bethlehem. And so again, I would remind you that God knew before the beginning, even as he laid the foundation of the world, that there would be a hill called Golgotha, that there would be an old rugged cross. And so he sprinkled over 300 separate prophecies throughout his word, allowing mankind to catch a glimpse into his plan for redemption. These prophecies would tell of the coming Savior and they give us enough information so that if we are paying attention, we could know who he was and who he is. One of the most famous prophecies about the birth of Jesus is contained in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. As the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, begins to write and begins to reveal things about the coming Savior. And so in order to fully grasp the significance of this verse, you must understand the importance of a name and think of how desperate they were to know the name of God. Names were chosen in these times because they meant something. They signified a truth or they expressed a person's destiny or they spoke of their personality or of their nature. For instance, Samuel means asked of God, signifying that he was the answer to Hannah's prayer. 
Isaiah's name reflected the prevailing theme of his prophetic ministry. He meant Jehovah saves. Throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself to those that followed him through names that would foreshadow different aspects of his character. Abraham knew him as Jehovah Jireh, that he was the God who provides. He was the ram in the thicket. He was known in Exodus as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals from every disease and every sickness. He was known by Ezekiel as Jehovah Shammah, the God who is ever-present in every situation. And so these different names or titles reveal the attributes of God. But it was understood by all of these Old Testament writers and prophets that God still had a name that was above every name. He would have a name that was not yet revealed. And they all longed to know that single great name of God. It was a name that would not be revealed until the angel would tell Mary to call her child Jesus, meaning that God has become our salvation. It was the name that would be written of in Acts 4 and 12 when it would say, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That the Bible lets us know the importance and the power of the name. So all through the Old Testament covenant, the men and women of God longed to know that name, the true name of God. So this is one of the reasons why Isaiah 9 and 6 is so significant. As you read, if you can put yourself in Isaiah's place as the Spirit of God is inspiring him to write each and every word. And he feels God leading him to write, his name shall be called If you could just for a second imagine how he would have felt as his heart would have leaped within him, thinking that through him God was about to reveal the name of God to all mankind. But he would write and not reveal the name, but he would reveal some of the attributes of God when he would say his name will be wonderful. It will be Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah ends up giving us this glimpse into who Jesus is. Instead of telling us his name, he tells us of his character. He tells us of his deeds and of the works that he would perform. He gives us a revelatory glimpse into who God would be and what he would do. That there would be a child born. There would be a son given as God would reveal himself in the flesh. Understand the flesh did not cover up who God was, but the flesh revealed who he was. That in Jesus Christ, God would extend himself into the realm of humanity as God in all his fullness would become a man. 1 Timothy 3 and 16 would say, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That for those who deny that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, they should start with this verse because it says clearly that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That Jesus Christ who walked the earth, he was God manifest in the flesh. He was not a part of God, but he was the fullness of God. That this mystery is the heartbeat of the Bible. It is the central theme of all creation. It is a truth that every 
child of God must embrace sincerely to understand the purpose and plan that God has for you. This God manifest in flesh would confound the Jews. He would puzzle the scholars. He would frustrate the devil and his minions. But for those who have believed on him, this truth will resonate in your soul. It's, it's more than simply believing that there is one God. We know the Jews believe that there is one God. The Bible declares in James 2 and 19 that even the demons believe that there is one God and they tremble when they consider him. But the New Testament goes a step further and declares that the truth is that God stepped out of his royal domain that he manifests himself in frail human flesh and he shone forth in glorious splendor in the face of Jesus Christ 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 would say for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ, that as they observed him, they should have known who he was. And as people observe the spirit-filled believer, as the spirit of God shines forth out of your life, they should know who God is by observing the life that you live and the spirit that is evident coming out of you. It's not a human spirit, but it must be the spirit of God. This is why when we fall victim to the whims of our flesh, we are veiling the workings of the Spirit of God in our life. When you give yourself over unto anger and unto wrath and unto lust, you are covering up the workings that the Spirit of God would do in you. You're allowing the darkness to shine out of you or to come out of you rather than the light to shine. And so the Scriptures tell us clearly that Christ will be of lowly estate. And though the Scriptures give this forewarning, the Jews, when they saw Him, refused to accept any version of a Messiah that did not come with a sword in His hand. They had an idea conceived out of their flesh as to who God would be and what He would do. And when the essence of God disagreed with their idea of what He should do, they chose the idea over the realization of God's plan. They chose, this is what it means to worship the creature more than the Creator, that when God reveals himself by his word, there have always been those who would choose their own idea of what God would be over the reality and the truth of what his word says that he is. And so they said, we believe a Messiah is coming, we just don't believe he's coming in this manner. We, we believe he's coming with a sword on his, in his hand and he's going to destroy Rome by his power and by his might. And so they could not accept this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That as he grew and as he began to teach and to preach, they would violently and vehemently oppose Jesus who was called the Christ. And so it is vital that we recognize today what they did not. That when Isaiah spoke of a child that was born and a son that was given, he was declaring that the full and complete expression of Almighty God was made known unto the world in the person of Jesus Christ. That this was the plan in the beginning, that he had all power and all the fullness of God. He was not a piece, he was not one third, he was not a section of God. But Paul would tell us in Colossians 2 and 9 that in him or in Jesus dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That wrapped up in that bodily form was all the fullness and power of God. 
2 Corinthians 5 and 19 would tell us that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto whom? Unto himself. He was not a separate being who came to give the world to the Father, but he came to reconcile the world unto himself, for he was the Father made manifest in human flesh. The truth of understanding who he is is foundational to faith and is the key to unlocking the wonder of Isaiah 9 and 6 and understanding that this eternal Father or everlasting Father would make himself manifest laying in the manger. Jesus would say in John 8 and 24, speaking of God, speaking of the I am, he said, except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am God, you're going to die in your sins. And so here we understand that the complete and total basis of our salvation depends upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there's not one of us that can save ourselves. There's not one of us that can live good enough to earn salvation. But we've got to understand that the only key to be saved is to know that God manifests Himself in the flesh. He died on Calvary and He rose again that we might be made free. And so today we put our faith not in ourselves, but I'm thankful we put our faith in the one who died to make us free. We, we know that he alone is able to redeem us and he alone is able to save us from our sin. And so we understand that Jesus was God manifest in human flesh. This is why the scripture would speak in Acts 20 and 28 and talk about the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. It was not the blood of a substitute or a subordinate, but God purchased the church with his own blood. That Jesus, again, was not merely part of God, but he was fully God. He was not partly man, but he was fully man. He was fully a man, and he was indwelled with the full spirit of God Almighty. He was a man who could feel, who could taste, who could smell, who could hear, who could see as a human being, and yet he could precisely express the inner heartbeat of the supreme majesty on high. He could reveal the plan of God, that everything that God ever had been and ever would be was expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. That every attribute that made God who He is was fully expressed in this man who would walk the shores of Galilee as a man and would heal the sick as God. He would walk up to the tomb as a man and He would raise the dead as God. He would walk out onto the bow of that ship as a man and He would speak and calm the tempest as God. That He was both fully man and He was fully God as He walked on this earth. Is anybody thankful you know who He is? Is anybody thankful you know the name of Jesus? That is a name above every name. And so in Jesus Christ, God became what He had never been before. And yet he did not cease to be what he had always been. God who was a spirit and had no blood became a man that he might shed his blood for our sins. And so God added himself what he had never had or added to himself what he had never had before. And that was a body so that he could shed blood to purchase our salvation. 
It was he who had ordained in the law that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Leviticus 17 and 11. It was he who showed in the garden that there had to be a covering of blood when he removed those animal skins and covered Adam and Eve to cover their sin. And so the incarnation is without a doubt one of the great wonders of scripture that Isaiah gives us this glimpse into what God would do and he not only gives us a glimpse into what God would do but he gives us a glimpse into why God would do this because he said unto us a child is born everybody say unto us he'd say unto us a son is given and so we so often look at the macro view, the, the giant glimpse that God became a man to overcome sin. And we understand that is true. And it's easy to grasp the concept that God became a man in order to defeat the accuser of the brethren, that old adversary which is the devil. But I want to remind you that Isaiah said a child was born and a son was given unto us. That he didn't just do these things to overcome sin. He did not just do them to defeat the enemy, but he did these things for us. That God became a man for us. I want to remind you today that you have a Savior who died for your sins. That he became a man that you might be made free. This is what David meant when he said, he's my shepherd. He's not just the shepherd of the whole world, but, but he's my shepherd. He, he's my Savior. He came to die for my sins that I could be made free. Isaiah would tell us in chapter 53 that he came to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. This is what it meant when he said unto us this child is born. That he came not to deliver himself but he came to deliver us. He came not to heal himself but, but he came to heal us he came not to give himself peace but he came that we might have peace he came that we might be made free I want to tell you the baby born in Bethlehem is the greatest wonder of the Bible it's something to consider that he came for us to make us free and so it moves the mind to consider this wonder that God became a man, but it ought to move your heart when you consider that He did it for you, when you consider that that He came to make us free, when you consider that this mighty God would robe Himself in weakness and in humility and He'd do it for us, that they would beat Him and they would mock Him and, and they would curse Him and they would spit upon Him and He would endure these things not for Himself, but He would endure them for us, that He would carry a cross up a hill called Golgotha and he would allow them to nail his hands and his feet to the tree. He would allow them to thrust a crown of thorns upon his head and a spear to pierce his side, not to exalt himself, but that we might be made free. That as he was glorified, he was glorified that he might make us free. That as he hung on a cross and blood and water flowed and sins were atoned for and our guilt and shame was placed upon him, that he did all these things for us. For friend, it was unto us that child was born and unto us 
that son was given. That, that everything we need today we can find in Jesus. That he is at once the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. He is the Word. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Lamb. He is our refuge in time of trouble. He, he is our shelter from every storm. He, he's our way maker when we need a way. He's our healer when we struggle and suffer with disease. When, when we stumble, he's a friend that picks us up and, and he's closer than a brother. That when we fail, he picks us up and he becomes our deliverer. That when we're in trouble, he speaks peace over our mind and our heart for he is the Prince of Peace. Can anybody give him thanks this morning? Come on, not just that He came, but that He came for you. That He came to make you free. That He came to give you peace. And so for those who come today weak and weary, you need to understand that it is He who came to bear your grief. And to carry your sorrow. He came down out of heaven and gave himself for your sin. So that you don't have to endure that affliction in your mind. That when you're filled with the spirit of God. That spirit will bring peace and love and a sound mind. That you don't have to live burdened by anxiety and fear and doubt and depression. When you yield yourself to the workings of the spirit of God. And so he came to be all of these things for us. Understand that God is as glorious as he's ever been. He was as glorious before the creation as he is on this day. God is great and greatly to be praised. And so he did not add to his greatness by doing this. He came and did it that we might be made free. And so I know this is simple, but I want to remind you that though you may feel lonely in this season, you are not alone. Many have such a struggle in the holiday season with feeling alone and feeling forgotten. But I came to tell you about a God who knows your every care. He, he's with you in the time of trouble. That when everybody on the earth may have forgotten you and walked away from you, there's a God that will stick closer than a brother. He'll be with you. He'll hear every prayer. He'll see every tear. He'll, he'll be with you in the midnight hour. He'll be with you in the darkness. And when you feel forsaken and alone, and so he came that you don't have to struggle alone, that you don't have to bear your burdens alone, that you don't have to fight your battles alone, but he's here with you. That whatever you're struggling with today, he's here with you. Whatever you're going through, he's here with you. Whatever place of darkness you found yourself in, I came to tell you, he knows where you're at and he cares for your every care. He came for you today. It was Charles Spurgeon who would coin the phrase that in order for the child to be born unto you, then you must be born again. And so this is the key to understanding Isaiah 9 and 6 and being born again, that the child was born unto us in so much that we are born unto him. That Jesus came for the whole world. He bore the sins of all humanity on the cross at Calvary. But in order to loose that great blessing in your life, you must first come to him in obedience and be born again. The power of Calvary is ever available to us, but we've got to be obedient to his word. We understand that he died for the sins of the whole world. 
But his death is only effective for those that believe and obey him. He came that everyone might have life and have it more abundantly. But his coming only impacts those who obey his word and submit to him as their savior. This is a great truth of scripture that in order to reap the benefit and power of that finished work at Calvary, we must each come to the old rugged cross and lay our own lives and lay our own sin down. That that from Christ's side it is a completed and a finished work, but from our side we have to be obedient to God's work that has already been done. And so I want to tell you how to do that today, that Jesus saved us at the cross and he purchased our salvation by his death his burial, his resurrection. But in order to be saved, we must each take part or identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, this three-step process. And so the Bible teaches that we identify with his death through repentance, that repentance is a turning away. It's where we die out to sin. Our old nature dies. Our old man, our old desires die at repentance when we determine, hey, I'm not going to live. If you can imagine we're facing this direction, I'm not going to live after that old man, but I'm going to change my direction and I'm going to now walk after Jesus. I'm not going to live this direction one day and this direction the next day, but I'm going to have a true change of heart. There's going to be a full 180 where I turn away from what I was and now I begin to walk after Jesus. This is the death of the old man in repentance. We identify with his burial when we are baptized. This is why it's so important that we go down in the water. It's not just an outward expression of inward faith, but but the Bible teaches if we don't take part in his burial, how can we take part with him in his resurrection? Romans 6 and 4 would teach us that we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life that that when we're buried we're taking part in his burial and if we take part in his burial we identify with his burial then we can identify with his resurrection when we are filled with his spirit I want to remind you of the importance of being filled with the Holy Ghost that it's a new nature that will come into your life when God fills you with his spirit that the same spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will dwell in you and it'll be that spirit that will raise you up at the last day. (laughs) And so we see this three-step process in Acts 2 and 38 when the crowd would ask Peter, what do we have to do to be saved? He would say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He gave that process, repent, let that old man die and be buried and you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost and we know that is with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as found in John 3, as found in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, that when you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak in other tongues. And so when you obey the Scripture and you are born again, it is then that He becomes your God and your King. It's then that He becomes all things unto you and you can join in Isaiah, with Isaiah in those triumphant words and you can say unto us, a child is born because I've identified with Him in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. We know that He came to redeem a church out of the world. And I'm coming to a close. We know that 
the promises of God, they are personal, they are ours, and they belong to the church. And when I say the church, I don't just mean the First Pentecostal Church of Buford. We're, we're just a tiny fragment of God's great church that is scattered across the world. I'm thankful today to be part of His church. I'm thankful to know His name. I, I'm thankful to be filled with His Spirit and to be part of the church that He bought with His own blood. And so the church is what Jesus is coming back for. The church is what he bought in Acts 20 and 28. It's what he bought with his own blood. That the church is foreordained to be saved. There's nobody in the building that is predestined to be saved. You've got to choose to be obedient. But there's a church that was predestined from before the foundation of the world that the church would be saved. And so we have got to make sure, each one of us, that we are part of the church. That when the world is on fire, God is going to catch his people away. And so to be part of the church, we must be born again. In John 3, when Nicodemus would begin to question Jesus and to recognize who he was, Jesus answered him this in John 3 and 3. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus assumes that he is speaking of the natural. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus lets him know he's speaking of a spiritual birth. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit. There's natural and spirit birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now here we see water baptism and spirit baptism. And he says, Except a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we can't just clip this verse out of our Bible. We have to understand these are the words of Jesus. He said, except you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must, everybody say must, ye must be born again. That it's not just an optional thing, but you must be born again. And we see Jesus here teaching the importance of water baptism and of spirit baptism, which is the Holy Ghost. And so there'd be no better way to celebrate the birth of Jesus today than to see somebody be born again. Uh, We're going to have some water baptisms in Jesus' name. I believe we're going to have some spirit baptisms here in this altar call in the name of Jesus. I want to invite you to stand across the house. Musicians, you can come. I hope you can see the importance of what I'm preaching about here today. That we are able to be born again. That when we've come broken down by sin and we're confused and maybe we've not felt God in a very long time and you come with questions and doubts and unbelief but but you decide to bring your hurt and your unbelief and your doubt down to the altar and to give it to Jesus. That Jesus promised that He'll fill you with His Spirit. And he said, for those who are filled with his spirit, he will be a comforter to them. How many know you need a comforter today? You can't find comfort in the world. You can't find it in family and friends. I thank God for those things. But the only true comfort and fulfillment is found in Jesus. That you can run to him with your doubts and your fears about life. And you can find him to be a counselor. You can turn to Him in the midst of a raging storm and of darkness and you'll find Him to be the Prince of Peace and the Father of all light. 
I want to tell you there's no greater comfort in the Bible than to look at Isaiah 6 and say that he was born unto us. He was given unto me. He was born unto me that I might be born unto him. I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes across the house. When you know that you are his and he is yours, then hard times in life become more bearable. Difficult trials become less troublesome. Sorrow and pain begins to be healed to become more manageable when you understand that he is yours. Loneliness can be fixed by the comforter when you understand that he is yours. There's hurt and pain all across this building today and I came to tell you, he is the answer. I came to invite you to look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of your faith today. You can find comfort and peace in the presence of the Lord. I want to open this altar today to anybody who knows that you need a Savior. To anybody who wants to thank Him today for coming to shed His blood on Calvary and make you free. You can find healing and hope in this place today. You can find healing of the mind, healing of the heart. You can find salvation for your soul. You can find forgiveness for every sin. If you brought a sin-sick heart into this place today, God can make you free. He is willing and able to forgive every sin. He is faithful and just. That when we repent of our sins, He will forgive every sin. And He will make you free. Coming all across the house, would you find a place to pray? Balcony, would you find a place to pray with us today? God came to make somebody free. He came to remind you that He is yours and you are His. His Spirit is available unto you today. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can get the Holy Ghost today. If you'll repent of your sins and you'll open your heart to the Lord, to the workings of God's Spirit, God will fill you up. 